Welcome to Joni Jams, a podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni's 1988 album, Chalk Mark in a Rainstorm. Woo, yeah. Oh, that was like, that was like a cowboy. What? <laughs> I guess that fits with one of the songs on here, if you know the song on here that has a cowboy. Anyways, um, yes, we were reviewing Chalk Mark this week, and I'm so excited to talk about this album. It's just... It's such a underrated and little, like, hidden gem in Joni's work, especially kind of, I think all of her 80s work gets combined into Dog Eat Dog. Like, they just talk about that because it's has such a reputation to where they don't even really mention this album, kind of in a similar way to Wild Things, how Wild Things doesn't get mentioned in a crazy amount. You know what I mean? Like, both are kind of underrepresented. But yes, this week we'll we'll be diving into it. Uh, one thing I've noticed about Chalkmark actually is that over, hmm, let's see, I've been a Joni fan now for about, I would say two years. Yeah, I think it's like two and a half years maybe. And when I first started listening to her, I did not listen to Chalkmark at all. I just, it wasn't even on my radar because I was getting into kind of I don't know, other things. Like, I got in first to Hygiera and Blue and Ladies of the Canyon. And then I was getting into Don Juans and Mingus. And I think... And then I went into the 90s. I went to, like, Taming the Tiger. But, yeah, this album never popped up. But I started liking it more and more last year. And uh, now it's just... I just play it all the time. And it's weird because I've noticed a lot more people on Twitter and in Joni forums talking about this album. So it's looking like it's starting to get some love again, which I really love 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 yeah I really like that uh it's getting talked about more and more I really think it's a cool thing that you know an album that is so hidden in a lot of ways is finally coming out of the woodwork woodwork is a good word for it because I don't know how to describe it but to me this album is such a like fall woodsy type of album I don't know why maybe it's just the opening track and the closing track of like a fall sort of going into the trees aesthetic to them and also the album cover leads to that as well I don't know this is just like I always consider this like a fall album if anyone else agrees let me know (laughs) but yes let's get into some of the info on Chalkmark and a Rainstorm so it peaked at number 45 on the US Billboard charts which is higher than Doggy Dog did so I guess you know we're slowly getting back up there I think her 90s ones I think Night Ride Home and Turbulent Indigo go higher than that I'm not 100% because I don't memorized chart numbers but uh I think we're getting higher and higher because as Joni starts stripping back from the synths a little bit and getting a little bit more into the personal writing again she starts getting more recognized which is you know just what happened in her career I guess so um the album began work in 1986 when Joni and her husband at the time Larry Klein um visited Peter Gabriel in Bath England where he was working on his album like he was trying to get it completed and he Basically, he had had it done, and so the studio was open, and, you know, no one was using it. It was some vacant space, and so he was like, hey, do you guys want to go record some stuff in the studio? And they were like, hmm, I mean, uh, I guess. And at this time, I don't know all the songs that were recorded in this studio, but if I had to guess, I would say I think Lakota might have been. And I also feel like, why? Well, I, I guess My Secret Place would have been would have been recorded there because that's with Peter Gabriel. But um, so that song Lakota and then maybe number one, because I know she performed number one at the Amnesty concert in 1986. So maybe that was already done. I don't know. But yeah, so that's kind of when the album started. And what I will say about this is that album is that <clears throat> it takes the anger of Doggy Dog and it takes the love of Wild Things Run Fast 
And it sort of like blends them into this soft harmonic vibe. I don't know, like the synths on here are a lot less hard hitting for the most part than they were on Doggy Dog because on Doggy Dog, they're like intense and angry. I mean, think about Tax Free, think about the title track of that album. They're just so much more jarring. And on Wild Things, you know, the themes of love are hinted with this like rock guitar that kind of goes in the title track and in uh, underneath the streetlight or something like that. And so here we get kind of a mix of both, but with a softer synth sound. And it kind of, I mean, there's things, there's political themes that are touched on this album that are, you know, talking about consumer culture, materialism, um, the climate crisis is addressed. Um, on B to Black Wings, we talk about PTSD, which is an interesting sort of thing that, that I don't think a lot of people had talked about at this time up until then. Um, but then we also have themes of love on songs like My Secret Place or Snakes and Ladders or a more rambunctious love and like Dancing Clowns. So it there's kind of a equal equal dis- displacement of both, which I really like. And I think that's why this album's a lot more enjoyable because you're not so bombarded with this like politics and anger of the last album, but it's also not too kind of dry with just love, like wild things. I mean, I, wild things doesn't dry, but you know what I mean? It kind of, it takes two those two things and blends them together to the final eighties album. Cause this is the finals eighties album. We're about to go into the nineties after this, which is going to be really exciting. Cause I her nineties albums are so cool, but yes, let's get back to chalk mark. So Joni acquired many, many people on this album as duet partners. And so for the most part, Joni and her career had sang her little character roles that she did in her songs. Like I know she talks about how she did it in Last Time I Saw Richard, where she does like the drink up now, get no time to close, like that line. But she decided that on this album, she was going to get some of her celebrity singer friends <laughs> to uh, join in and sing some of the roles. So, you know, we have Peter Gabriel, we have um, Willie Nelson playing the cowboy on Cool Water. We have, who else do we have? We have, um, it'll come to me. Um, his name is in my head. I just can't think of it. But yes, so she starts casting people in these character roles. I always think of this album as like a duet album because so many of the songs have people with them. So that's kind of, you know, interesting. Um, I would say critics generally enjoyed this album. I think for the most part, they liked it and that like her work started becoming more popular again. And, uh, you know, so the career was kind of going a little bit back upwards, whereas the at the beginning of the 80s and through the mid 80s, her career was kind of going down. Um, so, yeah, this album started getting her some traction. And then we get to Night Ride Home where suddenly she was liked again and it was, you know, a lot different. This album was nominated for a Grammy. I think it was her first album nominated for a Grammy since whew, was when was the last one? Was it? It couldn't have been Court and Spark, was it? No, I don't know. OK, so it, <laughs> maybe it was. So it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Pop Vocal Female Performance, but it lost to Tracy Chapman Fast Car, which is, you know, a good album. But I really like Chalkmark, so I don't know how I feel. Also... During this time period, because I don't know, I've recently been enjoying talking about things that are going on in her life. Um, I only know about this because I read it in uh, the book, Don, or not Don Mons, Reckless Daughter, uh, Reckless Daughter by uh, David Yeff, who talks about this. But during this time period, I think it was 1986, Joni got pregnant and she had a miscarriage and it, you know, completely like tore her apart for a while. And another thing that happened was during this miscarriage, Joni says that Larry, her husband was too preoccupied with other people's projects and work that he really couldn't give any focus or attention to her. And he kind of didn't really care when she was going through such a tragic thing. Because I mean, when you are get pregnant at a later age, it's a lot more risky. And you know, this one turned out to be a miscarriage and it was just it was so hor- hor- not horrible hard on Joni and uh I think that there's a real fracture in her relationship with Larry because of that at least in my opinion I mean they get divorced and hmm is it in like five years so I guess they still have a little bit longer to go but there's some early signs that maybe this marriage isn't going to last as long as they both expected but they still are great partners on this album and on Night Ride Home and even on Turbulent Indigo when they're getting divorced, they make good music together. So 
I don't know. I just thought that would be an interesting story to talk about. Um, but you can just tell on this album that Joni's maturing in a way. I don't know. Like her voice is a little bit lower. The music is a little bit more relaxed. Um, she's the way she talks about politics is in a less angry way, but it's in a more, uh, how would I describe it? A more like thoughtful and just kind of acknowledging way where it's just like, this is how it is. And you know, not much you can do about it. Nothing can be done. Like they say on night ride home. And, the final song on this album is a great indicator of where she's going to go on her next one because A Bird That Whistles really leads you into what Night Ride Home is going to sort of be and we start kind of another a new renaissance of her career. I always think of like the 80s as a period where Joni kind of goes underground for from the general public, like music-wise, only I feel like her kind of closest fans were listening to her music at this time but then the 90s brings a new renaissance where suddenly people are listening to her again and liking her music again with night ride home and turbulent indigo and even taming the tiger a little bit has some has some people enjoying it but i think chalk mark is great and i think it shouldn't be grouped as like a a bad 80s album as some people i think try to try to put it because it's it's enjoyable to me i don't know so Let's talk about the artwork on this album because it's, you know, interesting. Um, <laughs> it's sort of this like soft, mysterious nighttime mountainy scene. I don't know how else to describe it. And it has Joni in a fedora wrapped in a blanket that has some like print on it. And she's kind of obscured by the light. There's this like contrast of light that's blocking off her eyes to where she's like, kind of she looks like this mysterious little figure it it really gives me the vibe of the song cool water like that or lakota like those two songs i get that vibe or i guess bird that whistles like those those all kind of give me that atmosphere that she's going for here and then inside there's more photos of her in this like similar scene and i love the color palette i think this also is why i feel like it's a fall album because it has these like pinks and like soft whites and a little bit of like orange in moments and then there's like some purples it's just like a beautiful palette of colors that is so aesthetically pleasing to me i don't know i was thinking that like if i were to really psychoanalyze it which i don't think this is why but i was like maybe the pinky colors represent the love themes on this album and then the dark blues and purples of the mountains represent the political aspects no maybe <laughs> maybe that's me reading too much into things probably i tend to do that with most things but yeah, I mean, it's not the most interesting of subject matter or cover art, you know, that she's ever done. But I think it works well with the themes of this album. So I'm not going to hate on it. It's just, you know, not my favorite. But what else she what else could she have done? I, I really don't know. It's, you know, I don't really know what else she would have made as the artwork. I think it was a decent choice. So <laughs> now that all of that's taken care of, let's talk about the songs on this album. And the first song that we will talk about is a full-on duet, unlike, I don't know, has she had any other duet that is this? Oh, yeah, Good Friends, I guess. So, you know, another duet opening song, <laughs> like Doggy Dog had. Um, and this one is with Peter Gabriel, and it's called My Secret, My Secret Place, or just My Secret Place. <laughs> so this album opening is just I don't know, it's so beautiful and soft, and it's a, Joni described it in her own quotes as, it's a love beginning song. The song's about the threshold of intimacy. It's a shared thing, so I wanted it to be like the Song of Solomon, where you can tell what gender it is. It's the uniting spirit of two people at the beginning of a relationship. And it's just, that is such a great way of describing it, because that's so true. Like, the voices are both singing the same key. Like, Peter and Joni are both singing the same key. So, like, their voices blend so well that you can, at moments, not even tell who's singing. Like, unless you really analyze it, they kind of go back and forth, and you can't even tell when one's coming in or the other's going out. And it's so cool, because it really fits with that vibe of, like, this two people falling in love. And basically, the narrator in this song is saying that they're going to like kind of allow you into this secret place or take you to this special spot that they don't usually let other people to, but you know, this relationship that they're having is becoming so intimate and she's becoming so trustful that she's willing to let them into your secret place. And I just think that's such a beautiful sentiment to like start the album. It's just, it's really cute. 
And the music video for this is actually really cool. It's by a Dutch filmmaker, Anton uh, Corbin, 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 I don't know, that might be pronounced differently in Dutch. But it's this like black and white kind of very avant-garde footage. I don't really know how else to describe it. You just kind of have to watch it. But it's a really cool music video that works really well with the song. So I recommend watching that as well if you're kind of wanting to get more into this song. I think it's such a good sound. Like the music quality of it's so good. Like it's soft and the drumming of it or like the synth drums sound really good. And they just like blend really well to create a very light but and like breezy love song but it's also really cute with like the language that's cute really undermines it it's beautiful there we go with the language being used uh in my head it's like the secret place might be a real location like in you know like there's here's my special spot we all have like a special spot that we're like oh one day when i fall in love with someone i'm gonna take them here or i also think it could be talking about like Something on the inside that you don't, you know, there's like facets of our personality that we keep to ourselves. And sometimes we let that out for certain people and let them into that secret place. So maybe she's like willing to be vulnerable now that she's in love. I don't know. That's kind of what I got. Um, I really love the post chorus on this song when it's like the part where it's like, I was born and raised or once I saw a film set in New York City. It was shot in Colorado. I really like those the music break there. I don't know why her like line readings of them are very, very interesting. Or she's like, girl meets desperado in the trembling mountain trees. This whole album actually feels like it could be shot in Colorado. Like all the songs. So maybe we call this like chalk mark in a rainstorm Colorado version. No? Why is the silence so deafening when I say that? <laughs> I really love the line on this song. It's a it's a place no amount of hurt or anger can deface. That's like beautiful. Like, I just love that line so much. And also the like self harmonizing that she does in this song sounds so great. Cause she does like when she's singing, you just hear in the background, her own self harmonizing, like my secret. And I don't know if it's like also like they added like a, some sort of like synth quality to the vocals. I don't really know how synths work that much but I do feel like they have a something on her voice to make it sound more echoey like this whole song has like an echoey vibe to it it's almost like you're like singing in the mountains or something and like the vocals just have like an ambiance that's really interesting um Peter Gabriel's voice sounds really really good he's a a great singer so his and his voice works really well with Joni's like they are great duet partners and and yeah I just I really really like this song it's always been a really enjoyable opener for me. I wouldn't say it's my favorite opener of hers, but it's definitely one that I really like. And no one ever talks about this song, but as most of these songs on this album, but it's a really good one. And it's, it's a really cute one about like love starting or the beginnings of love and allowing someone to get a little bit deeper with you on a more intimate level and taking them into some secret place. And the music on it's really good as well. I like, actually, I like to play this on guitar. Um, the tuning it's in is like, uh what is it it's like c g d f is it f g f g c maybe i don't know but it's really really fun to play on acoustic and it sounds a lot more it, that like it sounds even more intimate on acoustic you're like damn the romance of it all am i right no <laughs> yeah so that's my secret place i won't babble on anymore about it so the next song on this album is a political song so we get our first political one of the album and it's entitled number one yeah got to be a winner trophy winner got to hold your head up higher yes i'm still breaking out into song every single time i introduce a new a new a new song on the on the album and that is just because i have an insatiable need to sing everything that i read because i have these i never like talk about this but i have Side note, <laughs> I have notes that I put in front of me. Like, I obviously, I write these lengthy-ass notes. And sometimes there's lyrics that I write down in the notes. It's like, oh, I want to point those out. And then I see them, and I start singing them in my head. And so, like, I wrote down, got to be a winner, trophy winner. And then all of a sudden in my head, I'm like, got to be a winner, trophy winner. And I, like, can't help but break out in song. I don't know. Must be some, like, inner theater child trying to break out that never, never was given the chance. <laughs> So, yes, number one, the first political song on the album, but unlike on Doggy Dog, where those political songs were intense and angry at times, 
This one is a little less angry and it's just more factual. It's just like stating the, it's like, yep, you have to be a winner. You like, everyone has to be number one in today's day and age. Being a loser is just like so out of fashion. And it's just this idea of everyone having like the most out of everyone. Even if you don't need it, you just want to be ahead. It's, it's kind of like this idea um, that she talks about on, what is it? Uh, Sex kills, right? Like even out in traffic, everyone hates everyone. It's just this idea that we're all in a constant competition with each other at this point, like at this time period. And I guess it's only gotten worse in today's age. And we're always competing to be number one. And it's like blood and tears is all it takes to be a winner. That's the only way. That's the only way you can get ahead these days is to like kind of be doggy dog in a way, I guess, you know, but it's a little less angry than that. Um, I like the line, there must be more to live in than a mortgage and a lawn to mow. I guess that's Joni kind of <laughs> contemplating, like, is this all there is? This cutthroat materialistic lifestyle? Like, isn't there more outside of some suburban middle class lifestyle? Like something more real or something more connected to the earth? I don't know. That's kind of what I was th- feeling like she was trying to say. Um, there's one curious part of the song where she says, um, like she's talking about, will they shower you with flowers or will they shun you when your race is run? And I like it because it's so hearkening back to for the roses, this idea of like you win and they throw a wreath around you, but then they shoot you off to pasture. And it's almost like she's saying here that if you're a winner, you'll get showered with flowers and you'll get money and you'll get to go up on the social ladder. And if you don't, quite get there you can't reach the standard that the world is throwing at you then they're just gonna shun you when your race is run or just shoot you you know like it's just sim- it's inter- interesting that i don't know this is what 10 15 years later she's still talking about this idea of like this like for the roses concept which is just it's really interesting i, I actually miss for the roses that was such a fun episode to talk about Um, yes. Anyways, the rhythm on this song is so cool. I don't know if anyone else really enjoys it, but like the way it's like, like it just keeps going in this like, like this, I don't know this, I don't know what it'd be the tempo or something. It's just going in this like crazy rhythmic pattern. And she plays it instrumentally on guitar or not instrumentally, like acoustically on guitar and a lot of the press reels for this album like when she's promoting it she does that and she does night ride home and when she does this song which is interesting that she does night ride home on this on the chalk mark rainstorm album tour but whatever that's another thing but yes when she does this one on acoustic it's just like crazy the way her fingers are moving like you have to look it up like she's such a good acoustic player that when you watch her she's able to play this rhythm like she plays it like her she's playing a drum but it's her guitar. I don't know. It's really, really cool. And uh, I will say this, that I actually like the acoustic version more, like when it's just her voice and the guitar. And I know that this is the 80s, so obviously we're not going to get that. We have to have synths. But I don't know. I think that the acoustic version, you just you feel the lyrics a little bit better. It feels more uh, personal. I don't know. Because on here, the synths do take up a lot of room. I'm not saying that they're bad, but they do take up a lot of space to where it's a little uh, it's a little heavy. Not unenjoyable, but a little heavy. And some of the like drumming, like the synth drums are a lot. But e- either way, I still like this song. It's just I would prefer the acoustic version. I, I really prefer the acoustic version to most of the songs on here. Um, like the next one I'll talk about. But uh, it's still it's still really good. It's just synths are not for me all the time. So yes, that is number one. And the track after that, we have another sort of political. This one's almost more like environmental at moments, but political song entitled Lakota. So yes, the song Lakota. Very interesting way to talk about this issue um, because she decides to take the... Um, character or I guess the people of the Lakota tribes that are most commonly in like uh, North and South Dakota I would say that's where most of the reservations are now and she decides to talk about them in like the first person where she sort of puts herself into the character of a Lakota tribe member um hmm 
how do I feel about that? Um, I have a lot of feelings on that. I mean, I don't think Joni would did it in a in a way to be not offensive, but like kind of tone deaf. I don't think she intentionally was trying to be tone deaf with that. But in some regards, I think a lot of people would look at it today and say, I think it's a little tone deaf to consider yourself like I am Lakota and do that. But either way, it's what she did. So we kind of just have to, you know, go with it, whether or not you agree with it. And um, so the song opens and she has Iron Eyes Cody who was a, oh God, I can't, oh, why did Joni have to pick him? Who was, uh, I mean, he was a man that was of Italian descent and he basically pretended to be Native American for, you know, his whole career. And he did all these famous ads about like the environment and, you know, bringing awareness to Native tribes, but he wasn't even Native. And so it's, and this was before I think it was exposed. And so everyone still thought that he was. And I'm sure Joni probably has a lot of opinions about him thinking of, you know, speaking of as he wasn't even of Indigenous descent, but it's just very weird. But he opens it with like this, like kind of acapella singing. And then all of a sudden, after this like acapella moment, the music just cuts in so fast. It's like da 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 da. It's like really intense. And excuse me, I'm not saying that it's bad. Like I was talking about a number one, but it's just a lot. Like it really cuts in. And sometimes there's moments where you can't even really understand what Joni's saying because the synths are so intense. Uh, I I like this song a lot. It's gonna sound like I'm hating it, but wow i mean this is kind of the this is one of the hardest hitting synth moments on the album and again like i said on number one i do like the acoustic version more of this um i'm actually gonna include that on the one of the either the opening or closing for this album or for this episode but uh i really like the acoustic version that she does with it um her it's just like her and larry and that one i feel like you get more into the meaning of the words and you feel more emotion than this one where the synths are basically taking over everything. Some of the lyrics on this song, I'm not sure how well they've aged. Like uh, one of the lyrics is red dogs in debt to you. Or there's another line kind of about uh, in a in the bar room, a poor drunk bee falls. I don't know. I, I just, Like, I don't know if that's kind of like further pushing stereotypes. You know, there's always been like a, a stereotype that indigenous people are alcoholics, which is just like another like racially harmful, you know, and unjust stereotype. But, and I, I feel like Joni having it as a lyric is a little questionable, but either way, that's kind of what she's talking about. And then there's this constant repetition throughout the whole song of I am Lakota. And it's just like over and over and over kind of reinforcing that. And I think it's like when she's saying that, her as the character is basically saying that you're standing your ground against the people that are trying to push you away. Cause this whole song is basically about like the government trying to intervene and take land or take, you know, money, people, environments from the Lakota tribes. And she's basically saying like, we we're not selling our land. That's like one of the lines actually we'll never sell. And you, you know, the importance of keeping the land and what the land means to them as a people. Um, so that's kind of what the lyrics are. I would also say that I like the ending when they talk about, um, it just like keeps going like, I am Lakota, brave, shadow, like, and it like goes, she'll like say the word and then be like countered with another phrase, like brave sun or broken moon and then pity me. And oh my gosh, during one of the pity me, she's like, she's like, pity me like she goes into her head voice and I love I love when Joni in the 80s like goes into those moments where she like switches into her head voice it sounds so interesting like she does that um she does that on a bird that whistles and it's just it sounds so good but uh yeah I was also gonna say this song does have a music video but I'm not able to find it I literally have looked everywhere and I'm not able to find it because it's not on YouTube and it's also not on her website but on her website they do provide a description of you know, the music video. And here is what 
it says, I'll just read it from the Joni Mitchell website. It says, on August 16th, 1988, the nation's Sioux Indians marched to Mount Rushmore where they held a rally seeking to recover unoccupied federally held lands in the Black Hills that were, according to Sioux, illegally confiscated by them from the U.S. government back in 1877. The Lakota tribe had invited Joni and Iron Eyes Cody to march with them and speak as a part of the program. Joni brought along four Super 8 MM cameras and filmed while they were on the reservations. Directed and produced by Joni, she and Larry are credited for the camera work as well as the additional footage shot by Lakota children ages 4 through 14 who also appear in the video. I'm assuming that maybe the video was taken down because there's children in it that weren't able to sign releases. That's probably why. Um, But that's my guess. I don't know. I'm sure that those children really didn't have any contract or something drawn up like yes we can be on film like their parents allowing it i don't know that's my best guess uh but yeah this song is is fast paced and you know she has a lot of emotion when she's singing but the music is just a little heavy a heavy as in like it's a lot and like takes up a lot of space to where you have a hard time enjoying it at moments i don't know it's sort of sort of how I feel but in the end the when it like breaks out it like breaks out into this like musical explosion and I actually weirdly enough I know I was saying that the synths were heavy but I actually like the ending because there's not as many like lyrics and it's just you focus on the music which is a lot easier to digest rather than when they're trying to do it at the same time but um yeah I think Lakota is a good song I think Joni really likes this song I feel like she's talked about it multiple times talking about you know just her 80s work that's underappreciated. I think she's mentioned this song before. So, so yes, that is Lakota. An interesting uh, interesting song that's, you know... Yeah, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> so, uh, the next song after that is entitled The Tea Leaf Prophecy, Lay Down Your Arms. Ooh. She plants her garden in the spring. Lay down your arms. So, this song is... Really, one of the, mm, I guess there's multiple. Another song that includes her parents. Talk, this song is basically about her mother and father meeting. And it's it's actually a really sweet song. Like, they're, the story about this idea of a tea leaf prophecy predicting, you know, her parents' marriage and this idea of building a family during this turbulent time. During World War II, suddenly they're finding love and stuff. It's just, it's a really... A really sweet song. And I think Joni really loves the song. The version she did of it on, um, God, what was it called? River, the Joni Letters, like the Herbie Hancock album. She d- sings this in like a jazz version and it sounds so good. And actually in, th- in that one, she replaces Molly McGee. She says Myrtle. I think she says Myrtle McGee instead, which is her mom. Her mom's real name is Myrtle. So I'm guessing, I don't know why she didn't just say Myrtle on this one, but she says Molly instead. So, you know. Whatever, that's what she does. Um, <laughs> this song basically, you know, talks about, like, the theme of falling in love, but, you know, not being able to find it. And then suddenly this tea leaf prophecy leads you to this love story. So basically it starts out in World War II. This character goes to a tea leaf reader and the tea leaf reader says, you're going to find love in a month. And she's like, fuck that. There's no men here. I'm not going to find any love. But then suddenly... Out of the blue, just passing through, a young flight sergeant on two weeks leave says, Molly McGee, no one else will do. And he seals the tea leaf prophecy. Oh my God, I love that lyric so much. Like, seals the tea leaf prophecy. I mean, like, it's just so, oh, I just, it's so, like, I don't know, heartwarming to hear that. Like, he seals, like, he's the perfect fit for her. And he looks so cute in his uniform. Like, <laughs> I like that line a lot, too. Um, and it's just, like, you can tell that suddenly there's this romance building that Molly would have never expected to happen. And it started. So, I mean, I'm not sure. I guess this is the actual story of how Joni's parents met. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe this is just a, you know, retelling of her parents meeting in a more fantastic or fantasy way but either way it's really cool i really do not know what the chorus is trying to tell me to be completely honest like she plants her garden in the spring she does the winter shoveling i i really don't know what that means and if anybody has any like description of what she's trying to say there please let me know because i i I really don't have a great concept on it 
But either way, uh, the song's really good. I, I really like this song a lot. It's not always been my favorite, but I've I've warmed up to it slowly. Um, I like, there's one part in the song where it talks about how, like, don't have kids when you get grown. And this idea of maybe they shouldn't have children because the world's crazy. You know, there's, there's like, Nazis and there's Hiroshima and there's, like, all this, like, horrible stuff going on. But in this chaos of the world, these two characters have fallen in love. And then by the end, they start a family. I guess, you know, they have Joni. And they all sit up late and watch the Johnny Carson show, three of them laughing around the radio. Like suddenly, even though there's all these horrible things going on, they have been able to build this family unit of love inside of it. Which is weird because I don't feel like when Joni describes her childhood, she usually describes it in a loving way. But I guess maybe in some regards there was some some happiness there. And it's, yeah, it's a true... A truly, like, autobiographical song. I mean, there's not many like this. The only other one I can think of that's like this is maybe um, Let the Wind Carry Me has a lot of talk about her parents. Um, Hmm. I'm digging through my Joni Rolodex trying to see if there's anything else. Not really. Like, this is one of the... Oh, Facelift talks about her mom in that as well. But uh, yeah, like this is one of the few autobiographical songs and it's it's really cool. And the synths are a lot more chill in this song, which I like. And uh, and also Joni's voice is really pretty on this song. I mean, there's like a little bit of strain in her voice, but I actually don't mind the strain. I think it's, I think it adds some quality or some character to her voice. So, you know, yeah. But Tea Leaf Prophecy is a song that I really enjoy and uh, I recommend listening to it. It's really cute. So we go from kind of the... The slow but heartwarming Tea Leaf Prophecy into the next song, which is so like Wild Things Run Fasty, which is Dancing Clown. And before I start talking about this song, I just want to say that this song was on a list of like the worst songs ever made by like good songwriters. They had this song and that is complete bullshit. I don't know who put that there, but that is not true because I love this song so much. I think Dancing Clown is, it's so much fun. And the way Joni and the other two um, singers on this song, like Billy Idol and Tom Petty, the way that they play their characters and sing, like Joni does all these like fun phrasings of the lines. And it's just, I think it's so fun. And uh, the music video for this is so fucking weird. It's like Joni in her kitchen with, like a broom and then like her cat it's it's really weird and she's like holding her cat and like stretching it i don't know how else to describe it um apparently it was inspired by her mother who told joni that she likes to put on her walkman and dance to this song in the kitchen i don't <laughs> i don't know there's a lot going on but either way i really like dancing clown so let's get into it so in february 1987 joni saw billy idol Um, performing at the Grammy Awards and she was just and she when she saw him felt like he had this rock and roll energy of like a past era some sort of you know rock singer like Elvis or something and she was like he would be perfect on this song I'm working on called Dancing Clown and so she invited him over to the studio he recorded his parts he kind of went into that character and she and she really enjoyed the way he brought that role to life. And then she also had Tom Petty come in and he recorded a little bit of his character and all three of them together, like saying or speak. There's a lot of speaking on the song on top of this intense guitar riff that's really fun to dance to. This is another one of my Joni songs that I like to dance around to song. Um And it's just, like, about this fast-paced beginning of a flirtation, you know, fast-paced love starting. Like, we have the three characters of, like, Rowdy Yates, we have Jesse, and then we have Susie. And they're all, like, I don't know, it's like a love triangle. I don't know, there's there's a lot going on. And I think you can tell by my flustering that I'm (laughs) trying to fit it all in. Um, Some of the line readings that Joni does that are so funny, she does, um, she's like, sis, Jesse. Or when she does a, she's high yellow looking top nice. Like she does these weird line readings that are like, they're not uncomfortable to listen to, but you're just like, oh my God, Joni, why are you speaking so intimately, intimately to me? And uh, I really enjoy like the way Billy Idol sings on the song. Like I think he really works the character well. There's also like the little break in the song where it goes like, she, she, la femme. 
which means uh, look for the woman in French. So I guess it's that idea of looking to get that girl. I think it's just like these two men competing to get the same girl, competing to get Susie, and that's kind of what it's all about. Um, I don't really know what the, like, dancing clown, what that means. Because I guess there's, like, whenever love comes to town, someone's a dancing clown. Like, someone looks like a fool trying to get... Maybe it's, like, someone looks like a fool trying to fall in love with that person because someone else already has them. I don't really know. (laughs) I don't really have a great, a great, uh, knowledge on what that would mean. But, yeah, so, yeah, I can't really analyze that any further than that. But I really like... I really like the song and I think the music's really fun. Like even in like some of the lines, like when she does like, you hear the swoosh of jungle blades and the crackle of, when she sings swoosh, there's this like, woo, like it like, there's like a swoosh sound, which is really cool. Um, Yeah, I just, this is such a fun song. Stop being haters to this song. You guys really let this song down. We could have made this like the gay anthem of 1988, but, but no. I don't know why gay. It's not even a gay song, but whatever. <laughs> I like Dancing Clown a lot. So we have that little love kind of break there with Tea Leaf Prophecy and Dancing Clown. But now we're about to go into the two, another little political sort of duet moment or not duet, but tr- couple. Would it be couple? Yeah. Political couple <laughs> of Cool Water and then the Beat of Black Wings. So when we start with Cool Water which is a song that is not actually fully written by Joni. It's a classic and Western song written by Bob Nolan from 1936 that's been covered by, like, so many singers. I'm sure that if you've you've listened to this song on the album and it sounds familiar, it's because you've probably heard it somewhere else. I know Fleetwood Mac has done it. There's, like, a bunch of people that have done it. And so Joni decided to take this song from... She remembered hearing it as, like, a child, and so she decided to kind of revisit it but put it into a more modern context. And she also writes some new lyrics for it. And to also add to that, she adds Willie Nelson to play the role of the cowboy with his mule, his mule named Dan. And they're basically like in a desert, the, the cowboy and his mule looking for some water. Like all they want is to have cool water. And periodically they have these like mar- mirages of like an oasis in the distance but it's basically that feeling of like being thirsty as fuck and you like feel that honestly like i like that vibe of like just being completely thirsty and just needing one drop of cool water it's something about the music like the way the music starts there's this like echoey like dry feeling of like water 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 and like the synth sounds so cool and then it breaks like and it like kicks into the song i really like that part and the way that the chord whenever she sings um cool water like there's this weird chord i guess joni would probably call it like a chord of inquiry it's like cool clear water like there's this i don't know what it is but this the way the chord is is so it has like a very curious quality to it that i really like uh i don't know why i just i have a weird weird thing for odd chords i guess <laughs> um and i i don't know some of the lyrics in the song that i like i like you know we're still in no man's land the night's cool and i'm a fool each star is a pool of water like i think some of those are cool there's nothing too like you know groundbreaking lyric wise like we're not we're not at a depth of the level of blue or anything like that but it's still a good analysis of this idea of not even having the basic the basic needs of of water that's all you want is just some cool water and then you know th- there's these bridge parts or these wa- oasis parts where it's like in my mind i see a big green tree or a river flowing free waiting up ahead for you and me but then it cuts back into like the verses which go back into the thirst and they're like the shadows sway they seem to say tonight we pray for water i really like those lines the way that she does like those uh what's that called when you like rhyme three words in a row there's a word for that like shadows sway they seem to say some tonight we pray i don't know what that's called there's something there's a word there i don't know what it is but (laughs) if anyone knows but yes cool water the music on it is slow but it's really cool and i like that she's reworked this old kind of folk western song and added these synths to it to make it sound a lot more modern like if i didn't know 
that this song was a cover, I would have just believed that Joni wrote it because it like doesn't sound dated at all, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't know. I really like Cool Water. Uh, it's not... I, I know I called it a political song. It's not, like, too political, but if it were, it would be in the context of just not having, like, the basic the basic necessities of life, like Cool Water. And then if you were to relate it to a song like Number One, where it's all about materialism, it's like there's these people that don't have anything. It's, it's kind of like what she talks about on Ethiopia, where she's like good air, good water, good earth, like these things that people don't even have while others are too focused on getting everything that they don't even need. So maybe that's kind of what cool water is implying. I'm not 100%, but that's my little analysis for it. So the song after that, this is our song that kind of is a analysis of PTSD or kind of a soldier having PTSD. We have the beat of Black Wings. So this song is based on a real interaction Joni actually had with a soldier. And I think it was like backstage at a concert. <clears throat> it was either in the 60s or the early 70s. And he like came back and he just started like venting to her. And I don't even know if he was like a fan or not. And he just started like venting. And so that's what this song's about. I don't know why she just decided to talk about it now, but I guess it popped back up in her head. And it basically is about this like soldier from the Vietnam War that came back named Killer Kyle, who uh, he's just found it difficult to get the sound of helicopter blades out of his head or this idea of he can't get the war out of his head. Like he has all of this trauma from it that he's not been able to work through. And if you really think about it, even today, most soldiers coming back from war have some sort of PTSD, but the U.S. government really does nothing about it. <laughs> like, we really don't have a lot of mental health programs out there that people can have access to or afford to where it's like we don't even really try to help these men that go to war and try to fight for our country. And so even then, I think, you know, it's it was an issue. And this the music in this song, like, is just, it, like, cuts in. Like, the way the drums, they're like, da 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 and I feel like it's trying to make, like, mimic, like, the sounds of a plane or something. I don't know why, but I feel like it's trying to do, like, that sound of, like, the wings of a plane. At least that's what I feel like. Um, he kind of, the soldier or Killer Kyle in the song talks about this idea of, like, they just gave us guns and a mission. Like, there's, like, they just basically sent them off to war with no training or whatsoever. They just sent them because they the government just wants soldiers to fight their own war. It's like, we we send these people to fight a war that the government wants. Like, you know, these men that were drafted in the Vietnam War didn't want to go to war. They were just forced to. And it's kind of the irony of that. Like, the old hate the young. You know, making the young go die for the old people's causes. Which is, you know, it's true. It's what happens, sadly. I really love the line, there's a war zone inside me, I can feel things exploding. And then Joni does an F-bomb drum, oh my god. I love when Joni drops the F-bomb. She says, I can even hear the fucking music playing for the beat of, the beat of black wings. I love that part. Like, I, I oh, when Joni causes in a song, it just, it scratches some part of my brain. I can't explain it. And then also on this song, this song holds the title of the album it's so weird this is like one of the first albums she has that doesn't have or is this is this the first like the where the title of the album is not an actual song it's just a lyric from this song and it's uh there's a man drawing pictures on the sidewalk with chalk just as fast as he draws it rain comes down and washes it off keep the drinks coming girl till i can't feel anything i'm just a chalk mark in a rainstorm i'm just the beat of the beat of black wings and i think that it's just the reason that like she says i'm just a chalk mark in a rainstorm it's the idea of like soldiers just being chalk marks that are like killed or can fade away just like rain like like rain is basically like bullets just washing them away and the government doesn't even care they're like well they're just another chalk mark in this overall rainstorm and like they just let them wash away and maybe in a way Joni chose to title this album because she feels like a chalk mark in the rainstorm. Like she just feels like one little blip in the world that will wash away eventually. I don't know. 
I, 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 it's, it's really peculiar to me. I want to, I wonder why she chose that as the title. I tried to find it, but I couldn't really see anything. So if anyone has any like article of her talking about that, I would love to see it, but I have not been able to find anything like that. Either way, this is a really interesting song kind of going into the idea of PTSD and this man who's so haunted by the sound of planes or can't get this image of war, you know, seeing his friends die. I know he talks about one point in the song. He's like, I can't have anything like my girl killed my own her, like my child that she had, you know, aborted her. Like there's just all these like sad things happening to him that kind of, you know, add to this PTSD that he already has. It's just really interesting to hear her talk about, a theme like that in 1988 because I feel like people don't really talk about men- like mental illness even today it's still so ugh, I don't know people are still so uncomfortable about it so yeah but anyways yeah that is the beat of black wings an interesting song I feel like oh, no never mind I wasn't gonna say that <laughs> plot twist okay so the next song after that is another love song we go back into the love song themes and we have snakes and ladders so this is a song that was written by Larry and Joni, and it was released as a single, actually. I don't think it charted anywhere, but it was released as a single. Um, and so I find it peculiar that they both wrote this song because it's kind of about the analysis of love and the ups and downs of a relationship, kind of saying, like, love is snakes and ladders. I think it's such an interesting, like, I it's so cool that she uses this metaphor of the game of snakes and ladders and kind of applies it to love and how love is goes up and down and you're constantly getting to the bottom to climb back up getting to the top and sliding back down like you were never in one place with love you're always going back and forth and this song I used to literally hate this song I have no idea why I didn't like it and I was recently 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 listening to it um in my car And the ending part of the song came on, which we'll talk about in a second, where it's like, love is snakes and ladders, and it starts building. And I started tearing up because it's just like, I don't know. There's something just so emotional about this concept that you can never truly be be complacent in love, that you're always going up and down. And it's it's true. It is very true that you are never, never able to reach that equal place, sadly. Um... Basically, the song also tells this story of these people that fall in love and they start, you know, building a relationship and the relationship is climbing up the ladder. And then suddenly this relationship sort of starts getting these little things that are messing it up. Like they're both kind of going into two different places. Like she says, see in the crime of time, how the seasons steal away, how the rungs are shattered. First you're green, then you're gray. Still the snakes unwind, still playing snakes and ladders. Kind of love still going up and down. Everything sort of started to twist as the relationship starts kind of becoming unraveled again. You know, she starts becoming more interested in a different lifestyle. And then he starts becoming interested in a more lifestyle. And by the end of the song, they're, they're broken up and like their love is completely, you know, they move on and they sell the vineyard. They sell the things that they had together and they basically move apart. And so it's like that game of snakes and ladders is still going and they're like at the bottom again, you know? And it's kind of sad, like that notion that, you know, things come and things go. I guess she says it on down to you and Court and Spark, everything comes and goes. Um, The music of this song is not in my head it's not too particularly interesting like it's just sort of kind of like a pop sound even like the bridge like get to the bottom climb back up that what is it like true love true love true love like that part like all very like kind of poppy but like i said earlier the ending of this song the way it like builds is just so good it's like I don't know, like, she just starts, like, kind of, like, belting it out. Like, and then the music becomes, like, a different type of, like, chords are being played. And it's just, it's synthy, but it's so good. I love, I love, 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 like, the final minute of this song. Like, you have to go back and listen to it because it's truly, truly so good. But, uh, but yeah, a really interesting song kind of about the ups and downs of love. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything else really to say about it. But we have... 
Two more songs to go. One political and one love. So fitting because this album just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. And by the way, when I say political, it doesn't necessarily just mean like, like politics. It could be like about like the world or like, you know, the world concepts like materialism or the climate change and things like that. But, you know, it's just easier to underscore it with political. And so this song, which I'm so excited to talk about, is called... This is the reoccurring dream. Well, it's actually just called reoccurring dream, but whatever. Um, (laughs) And this is a piece on consumerism. And it's basically this idea of how, you know, in America specifically, I guess, we're being brainwashed by TV and pop culture into this idea of nonstop buying and trying to achieve this like artificial lifestyle. It's kind of like the same thing she talks about in Shiny Toys where you're just being flooded with like, I need to get this. I need to get that. I need to like buy all of these things. And maybe if I buy these things, I'll be, you know, I will get a new girl. Like I'll get a relationship. Maybe if I buy this, I'll be looked at better by my peers. It's like this idea of stuff equaling importance rather than like true things like, you know, actual important things not mattering. And the cool part about this song that is, I just, oh, it's so good, is that Joni spent two weeks at her TV and she picked up audio clips, some from like TV shows and other from commercials, and she spliced them into this song to where there's these lyrics that she wrote and they're, and like, the, she has like the synths and stuff that she, like, that are hers, but then she like cuts them with these commercials coming in and you know, you'll hear them pop up every now. They're like glamor before your very eyes. Like there's all these things that, Oh, it's so good. Like it's hard to really describe it because like you have to listen to it to really understand how, how cool it sounds. And I love the opening line. This is the reoccurring dream born in the dreary gap between what we have now and what we wish we could have. And then it like breaks and like fades out. I just, ugh. I love that, like this gap of what we what we have now and what we wish we could have, this idea of wanting more and more and more. Like, if you use this shampoo, true love will come to you. Like, making false realities with products we buy. I mean, we talk about that all the time in, like, our modern age, like, false advertisement and, like, things not being what they say they are. Like, and then we talk about, like, he's gonna love me in this ruby, ruby lipstick. Like, Joni reads these lines so cool in this song, I swear. Like, I just love... Something about her line readings on chalk markers so good. I can't, I can't explain it. This one in Dancing Clown, like she really, really does some interesting voices. And honestly, by the end of this song, you're so in kind of like entwined into this world of the reoccurring dream that you're basically, it feels like a nightmare almost because all these voices are just coming at you because that's how it feels. It's like all these like voices and ads are coming at you all at once. And it's like, isn't there some other way? Like, that's how it ends. Like, someone's saying, isn't there some other way? Because, like, can we ever, can you ever escape from this, like, materialist, consumer-driven culture? I don't know. I mean, I know in the 80s it was really intense. I think it's, I think it's only gotten worse, honestly. Like, I, I don't think it's gotten any better in today's age. Like, if anything, phones have made it worse, but that's another topic. Um... I just think it's such a creative song. Like, no one else, no other artist could come up with the cool shit like this. Like, Joni is such an innovative and creative thinker, and only she could make a song about consumerism and intersplice it with, like, real commercials, and ugh, it's just, it's so good. And also, I love the hearkening to being a dreamer. Dream on, dreamland. You know, going back to that Don Juan's idea. Dreams are very important to her. I don't know. Something about... Something about that word. <laughs> but yes, I love the recurring dreams so much. It's such a good song. And, um, oh, we have one more song left. Yes, with A Bird That Whistles, or in parentheses, Karina, Karina. So I, weirdly enough, really love this song with, like, a burning passion. And I can't explain it why. I just do. This is Joni's only folk song of the 80s. Like, there's no synths on it. It's just a guitar and Wayne Shorter, who, yes, we have a Wayne Shorter. He's finally back. We have him on the sax here. And this is my, I have to say, this is my favorite Joni and Wayne collaboration because what he does with the ending of this song is just, it's it's brilliant. But um, A Bird That Whistles is basically a improvisational song that she did 
during a Wild Things Run Fast session in 1982, and you'll notice that it's from that because her voice is way higher than all the other songs on this album, and she's able to hit the high notes more because, you know, she was a little bit younger um, before, I guess, before the cigarettes started becoming more and more intense. And this song takes the traditional song, Karina, Karina, and it, like, intersplices it with Joni's own kind of song that she's come up with called A Bird That Whistles. It's kind of like her... I basically said it's like the antithesis of the reoccurring dream because at the end they say, isn't there some other way? Like that's how the reoccurring dream ends. And this is the other way that she made me once. Like she wants a more natural life, like a house by the water, a man, and then a bird that whistles. Like she wants this natural life. It kind of goes again to like that for the roses moment, like just wanting something simple. Um, And it's just, it's a really heartwarming way to end the album. And what a heartwarming way to end the 80s. Like we finally and this intense era of like politics, consumerism, anger, all these things. And we end it on such a light note with a bird that whistles. Cause that's all she wants is just something, something a lot more real and grounded and natural. And like, that's what this song kind of encapsulates encapsulates encapsulates. <laughs> so like I said about the Wayne collaboration, Joni basically told him when he was going to record, she said, Wayne, I want you to sound like a bird. And that's all she told him. (laughs) And so the first recording that he did of it was so bird-like that it was literally perfect. And he was doing these like trumpeting sounds like a real bird with his sax, which were like incredible. And like, he was like, no, no, I I didn't like how that sounded. And Joni was like, "Uh, okay, we'll give you more takes. And so we ended up doing like nine takes or something, but they stuck with the first one. Because that was Joni's favorite. But in the end of the song, they decide, or I should say Joni decides to take all of the nine and sort of intersperse them to make it sound like kind of all of these birds chirping at once. Like they're like, like all, all tweeting. And then she also has like real bird sounds. And then she has, if you were like a little laughing, that's Wayne laughing in the recording session. Like at the end, they all kind of morph into that. But I just, I love it. And it leads so perfectly into Night Ride Home. Like, it it just takes that... Like, if if this album ended with the reoccurring dream, fading into Night Ride Home would feel really weird, but this one, like, finally strips it back to just the guitar and some other instrument, like a saxophone, and it just... It sounds perfect. Um, the tuning of this, this song on guitar is really interesting because you can do it in, like... You can play Song to a Seagull with this as well as um, like Urge for Going. So some of her more like early folk songs. And uh, like I said, it's just, it's my favorite Joni and Wayne collaboration. I think it's a beautiful song. And uh, she says, if I don't have you, darling, birds don't mean a thing. Aw, very sweet. So that is in a in a short term, <laughs> Chalk Mark and a Rainstorm. We are finally, or not finally, sadly, done with the 80s i have a soft spot for joni's 80 period 80s period in her career i know a lot of people hate it but i i really like it and i think if you are like someone that doesn't like her 80s work i would say this is the most accessible to her like like this is a lot more like a lot of her other stuff like at least her 90s stuff this album feels a lot more like that so I would recommend giving it a try because it's it's like a little it's a little hidden gem and you can be like I listen to the hidden gem of Joni albums, I guess that and like For the Roses is also like a hidden gem, very similar to For the Roses. Hmm, this is like For the Roses part two, I guess. Anyways, just had that thought. So, uh, my rating of this album, I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. The only reason I'm giving it a point off is some of the synths are a little heavy, but. For the most part, 9 out of 10 in my opinion. My favorite song in this album, it's a toss-up between The Reoccurring Dream and Dancing Clown. I like both of them so much. I think, like, Dancing Clown I like because it's so fun. And it's just so, like, enjoyable to, like, dance around to. But then The Reoccurring Dream I like the most is, like, a composition. Like, I think it's the best song composition-wise. So, yeah, that's my opinions on that. And then my least favorite song... I had a hard time picking that, but I guess it's probably between number one or Beat of Black Wings. I just don't really like particularly like the music on this album of that. Number one, I like the acoustic version, so maybe I guess I'll do the Beat of Black Wings as my least favorite. But honestly, none of the songs here are really bad. They're just, some of them are just not my complete favorite. 
But uh, yeah, that is Chalkmark in a Rainstorm. I, I really, really enjoyed talking about this. I wish more people did talk about it. I say that at the end of every episode, but it's true. We all we need to talk about some of these more underrated albums. So yes, that concludes our 80s Joni albums. And uh, next episode, we will be moving on to the 90s and kind of a new sound with Night Ride Home which is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited to review that album. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Night Ride Home. Bye. I am Lakota Looking at money, man Digging the deadly quotas out of balance, out of hand. Lay down the reed king, or don't you hear the shrieking in the trees everywhere? You touch the earth, she saw every time you skin around things weak. Your money marks us Restitution What good can it do? Can't hold in heat or boxes